afternoon. Pasensya na kayo. It's so it's so wonderful for me to be back here to to be with you. It's quite a long time. I've been going in and out. But again, it's my privilege to share the Word of God today. So I'll just go straight to the Word of God. And tonight, today we'll be discussing uh, one of the prophetic books called the book of Micah. Uh, are you fond of reading prophetic books? Normally we don't, no? because it's quite difficult to understand. But the book of Micah is one of those minor prophetic writings that wherein we could learn a lot of things and even understand our lives before God. So let us just pray before we begin. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I come before your throne in the name of Jesus Christ, our loving Savior. And I pray, O God, that uh, even though these writings of your prophet Micah was written many, many years ago regarding a situation in the land of Judah, in the land of your people in those days, Father, we pray that we may fully comprehend its message and the emotions that is involved in it so that we may be very careful, O God, in the way we understand how to relate and to worship you. Bless us, O God, today in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. I'm sure that many of us have been involved in many kind of relationships, like friendships, and when we were bachelors, perhaps, or singular, single, mother, single woman, we have dating, etc., etc., and perhaps you would recall, some of those relationships may started so well, but somewhere in the middle, it becomes sour. Uh, it started so exciting, and then all of a sudden, your friend or your partner or your girlfriend or your boyfriend, all of a sudden, his or her attitude begin to change. They're no longer, they become cold. They don't respond well. And perhaps what would come to your thought is, what is happening here? Hey, what's wrong? Have I done something wrong? Why he or she is behaving like this? Why don't he or she answer my phone call anymore? Why is it when I ask her for a date, she declines now? Before, she's so excited about it. Well, this is part of her life, and I'm sure one or two of this kind of relationship have been part of our past life. And that is basically what the book of Micah is all about. It is, it is a confrontation between God and His people, and God asking what had happened to our relationship. In relationship, many times we have favorite events wherein we could meet each other and share our love for one another. And when it comes to God, worship is one of the most important events or one of the manifestations uh, wherein relationship between God and man can be explained, can be manifested in its reality. So let us begin to, to journey with Micah and try to understand the concept of what God requires of us, how to keep our relationship with God in a form of worship. And I just pick up this particular verse which seems to be representing everything that God was trying to say in the book of the prophet Micah. In Micah chapter 6 verse 8 it goes this way. 
He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Worship is basically defined as a religious act of reverence and honor to a God. But actually, worship is an expression of that relationship between man and human, between God and human beings. So many times we say, I would like to express my love for God. One of the practical things that we, wherein we could express that love for God is in a form of worship. It is a time wherein we come and honor and, and give reverence to the one that we love, whom we call our God. In the same manner, remember, when you are dating in those days, dating is not just simply trying to eat, but it is time to express your love, your reverence, and your respect to the one that you're dating. So worship actually is a date between man and God. And in practice, one of the elemental acts of worship is the bringing of offering to the altar or dwelling of the holy God, of the deity. So when you date, when you visit men, remember when you were visiting your, your wife now, even those days, you never failed to bring a flower or something that was of token to tell them how much I love you. It's an expression of that affection when you go dating, when you visit your loved one. In the same manner, worship is like that. You come to God to offer God something as an expression of love. But in the religious cult, it, there is always this connotation there will be an exchange. So you offer something in exchange for the offering, the worshippers expect favor and blessing from the deity. In the same manner, when we give our gifts, we expect a corresponding say, I appreciate it and I love you. And, and therefore there is a reciprocity when it comes to dating. And in worship, it's the same. There is a reciprocity of offering and of love between God and humanity. Are you following me in this story? And so therefore, the question now that we need to understand because worship has been misunderstood nowadays is does one worship to be blessed by the deity or God or to bless God? Which one comes first? So many times nowadays that when people come to a worship service and they don't like the way people sing, it's out of tune, no, it's not my type of song, it's not like a Alahil song, they will come out of the worship service, I'm not blessed. Okay? Well, if they, if they enter a worship service and, and they hear Alahil song kind of uh, singing, and they hear a Joel Austin kind of preaching, they will come up and say, I am blessed. But the question, did you come to worship to be blessed? Or to bless the one that you come for? The one that you came for? Micah reminds the essence of worship. Reminds us of the essence of worship. And that is to bring delight to God. We come to worship not just to be delighted. Of course, that's part of it. Because God has been delighting us already. 
We come to worship to express delight. So, to, to, to come to God so that we may bring delight to the living God. To give a smile to God. To make God appreciate our presence in our life. It is not for us just to enjoy and be blessed. Micah is very clear about this kind of worship. And Micah, based on the verses that we have read, is our worship blesses the Lord when we have been a delight to other people by acting justly and merciful, walking humbly with Him. In other words, to cut it in a very uh, theological term, we become a delight to God if we have become like Christ. Not just saying, I am with Christ, but we become a delight when we become and live like Christ. Because those words, acting justly and mercifully and walking humbly with the Lord, are basically what, what characterizes the, the life of Jesus Christ our Lord. Now to understand this concept, I would like for us to join Micah in a courtroom. The book of the prophet Micah is like a court setting. But it begins with chapter 1, wherein, uh, I'll just jump there, in chapter 1, verse 1 to 7, have you watched uh, the movie or this story, Jock and the Beanstalk? Jock and the Beanstalk. You could imagine the giant up there, that when he starts running and walking, looking for Jock, what happens is everything, boom, 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 and uh, the, the Everything, the ground is shaking, and, and the buildings are shaking, and, and he's running and looking for Jack. Now, of course, that's not what Micah was trying to say, but I could imagine the beginning of chapter 1 is like that. God is coming down from his dwelling, and he's coming down here on earth to meet with Judah, to meet his people. And as he's running, the Bible says, the mountain melt like wax. And everything was thundering and shaking because the God who is almighty and the creator of all things is coming down. But it is not a delightful coming. He comes to file a case against his people. It's horrible. The picture of my guy is actually scary. God was coming and he has come to file a case against his people. And Micah, in this particular chapter, when he saw God, it is as if when he saw God coming down from the mountain, immediately he ran from town to town. He is just like a, a town crier. Well, in the Philippines, we don't have town crier, but I think here in England, it has been accustomed to have a, a town crier in those days, wherein they, hear, they hold a bell and ting, ting, and they hear ye, hear ye, something is going to happen, hear ye. And Micah act that way. He was a town crier, but this time he's not just crying. He's really weeping and mourning and wailing and crying, horrified. Because he could see what is going to happen. And so he went from town to town, announcing the coming of the Lord. For what? To declare the destruction of his people. To declare the destruction of Samaria. Why? Why? Because they have transgressed 
This place, which means the place of Samaria and Jerusalem. Now it is interesting here that when Micah refers to Jerusalem and Samaria, he refers to the temple of Jerusalem and Samaria. Because Micah is basically talking about the way his, God's people worship the Lord. And as we all know, in Mount Gerizim, in Mount in Samaria, there is a temple created by Jeroboam, or established or built by Jeroboam, offered to a fake pagan, or a pagan god, but they claim that is the Lord. And then we have the temple in Jerusalem, built by Solomon, and that is the house of God. And God is coming, basically, not just to find a case, but He's saying, I'm going to destroy those temples I'm going to destroy our, that place of our dating because it has become a defilement to me it is not interesting anymore and it is not funny so Micah was horrified as a town caller he wept and wailed while running warning people from town to town of a sure destruction now, in those particular verses, Micah explained the reason was that there was injustice committed. There's too much injustice created, committed by the people. God and bless and care for them, but His people does not bless and care for one another. So the story of Micah here is, you know, it's scary because... When you look at Jerusalem, when you look at Samaria, it is so prosperous, it is beautiful. A lot of people are quite prosperous. And because God has blessed them and prospered them, but the problem is, majority of the people are also poor because they have not blessed one another. There have been so much, uh, so much accumulation of wealth. These people plan every day how to enrich themselves more by robbing the disadvantaged and vulnerable people of God's blessing. So the accusation is there is injustice. One thing you know, my brothers and sisters, as Christians, as people of God, God is not only interested in our spiritual state, He is interested in the social state of the community of God. If there is injustice, social injustice among the people of God, just like Micah, God is not delighted. In other words, there are people that are being abused, manipulated, and being oppressed. And that is the reason, one of the basic reasons why destruction. And then Micah is horrified because what he can hear from God is that when Samaria and Jerusalem is destroyed, it means there's nobody there to worship the Lord anymore. Is it not nowadays what is important for us are facilities, just like this place. This is the place where we worship. So in those days, Micah is horrible now. If this place would be sold to somebody, where will we worship the Lord? But much scary is, it's not only destroying the facility, but what happened is when God destroyed the worshippers themselves. It's scary, isn't it? The prophet Micah is so scared. So I'm trying to, to say it in this manner so that we could feel the spirit behind the prophet. He was horrified. 
Because these are the very people that God loves and cared for. But the relationship sour, and now God is against them. And then in chapter 2, verse 6 to 13, there were prophets of God, of course. There were those uh, uh, teachers and, and perhaps pastors and leaders also in those days that are proclaiming differently from Micah. And they say, oh, forget Micah. He is a false prophet. It's not going to happen. You know? The prophets declare that God would not bring that disgrace. Why? Well, because we are children of Abraham. We are God's people. God loves us so much. We have a temple. Why will God destroy the temple where he, where he dwells? Why will God do that? And then Micah said, Oh, God declared, the prophets are liars. Oh, that's very hard. Could you imagine, Pastor Man, if God would tell, You pastors are liars. And that's what saying. God declared the prophets liars. Disgrace is coming. Upon these people. Now this is one of the most difficult things that is so hard to reconcile when you read the Old Testament writings. It's so hard to imagine that God will be angry with these people. Today so much so also Christian many times we could not imagine that God can be angry with us. Of course God loves us. And here you must understand, when God was proclaiming this, this uh, case against His people, don't ever think that He don't love Israel. He loves Israel, but He has no choice but to do it. And that's why He also mentioned, but God will gather remnant. Later on, after these things, I want to express still my love for you. That there would be a remnant and I will raise you up again as a nation. But this is the reality of what, what Micah is trying to tell. So the Lord stated his charges against the leaders and prophets. So now try to imagine a courtroom. Perhaps you are the people of Judah and Samaria or Jerusalem. And perhaps I am just a narrator here in this particular court. And God must be here. And on the other side are his leaders and prophets. So, imagine the court. And the judge is God himself. And the one who is complaining is God himself. And who are the one who is being accused? The prophets and the leaders in behalf of the people. That's the scenario here. And what are the charges? The leaders led with injustice and abuse the people. So God was saying, you leaders, you have abused the people. You have committed injustice. You have enriched yourself. You have not taken properly of the people. I hope God would come to the Philippines and put to court our political leaders. <laughs> Perhaps this would be the same scenario. If God would come to our country, He would put all those leaders in the place and He would say the same thing. You have corrupted this nation. You have abused the people. And even though you cry one day when you are suffering, even though you pray, God is saying here, I will not listen. He even tell Micah, do not pray for them. So, you know, sometimes we think prayer is so important, but there are times in the Old Testament that God says, please don't pray for these people. You'll waste your saliva. I will not answer it. In Jeremiah, it was also the same. 
When, when the wickedness of people, when, when God's patience and judgment is to come, nobody can stop it. Because of the covenant of God. So, believers were accused. God was filing the case. And then, not only the leaders, but the religious people. In those days, the prophets and priests. Today, pastors, priests, archbishop, bishop, cardinal, whoever that is, whoever is in a position of religious leadership, in the same manner God was accusing them. And what was the accusation? You lead the people astray. You teach them wrong things. You have not presented me properly to them. They have not obeyed the law. And much more, you made a business out of it. Now, it was clear there. You profited from it. You asked money from people. You enriched yourself at the expense of my people. And so what was going to happen? I'm telling you prophets, all of you will be in darkness. You will never hear me speak again. You will never be able to interpret the word of God properly because you have lied about me. That's scary. I wonder if one day these things would happen in this world. When God confronted, because God has confronted this world many, many times in those years. When the true prophet, the true voice of God could no longer be heard because it has been defiled. So he's saying, you know what? Worship became a business. Now he's not talking only about the singing, but the whole caboodle, the whole concept of worship has become a business. Building big places, getting much money as much as you can, of course, we practice tight as part of God, but in excess of things, he's saying this is too much. Too much. Everything has to be paid for. It's a business, and God was so angry. So the leaders, and he's saying, therefore, you leaders and prophets, these people now will be destroyed because of you. If I was one of them. And then, you know, this, that, that the idea there, you now even if you cry, I'm sorry, it's finished. It's a very, very scary situation in the book of the prophet Micah. The leaders and the prophets, you are the reason for this impending destruction of the nation. It's so nice to put this into a play. <laughs> now, perhaps you have an idea, but it's so powerful. But again, just like before beginning a verdict, before God now, because the next step now is God would speak to the people. So he's talking to the leaders. Now, the next thing that he will do is he's going to speak to the people. But before he says something to the people, he proclaims. But anyway, in spite of this destruction, in the last days, at the end of the day, after all these things will happen, I would like to say, I still love you and I will restore all of you. That's what he says. And so he's saying, there will be the restoration of the glory of Zion. You will worship again in the glory of the name of God. Those who would remain faithful will be restored. And I will gather them to be my people. So, talking to them, giving the verdict, and now talking to the people. I will restore all of you. And I will restore the kingship again. I will bring, give you a king. And we know who is that king. That is Jesus, 
the son of the living God. I'm going to give you a king. No, not a king like these people. Not prophets like this. But I'm going to give you a king and a prophet all at the same time. Who will represent me. That's what he was saying to the people. But then he ended. But for now, the judgment has to happen. Oh, ang ganda na sana, no? Exciting. Oh, yeah, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. But for now, things has to happen so that you may learn the justice and the holiness of the living God. And then now, the Lord questioned His people. So now, after saying all of these things, He starts to talk to the people. But of course, the blame is on these leaders. That's why some leaders of the church, I was sharing with them, don't ever play with your game with this leadership. If you cannot take it, better go down. Because this is not a joke. In he, it's the leaders. And the people suffer because of them. So now we go back to the story. He confronts the leader. He tells the people now. He faced the people and tells them this is going to happen. But now before I, everything else, I would like to ask you some questions. And the Lord is saying, Have I been a burden to you? Oh, could you imagine? You're seated there. And here is God who has blessed. You know the blessing that God gave from the time of Moses to, to the time of David, Solomon, and all of this grandeur. You know that God has protected and has done mighty things. And then he's here asking, Have I been a burden to you? Did I give you a problem? Could you imagine if God would ask us that question? It's just like relationship. What's wrong? Why did you become cold to me? Did I give you any problem? And that's the question of God. You see, the only thing I know God says, I have redeemed you. I have established you into a nation. And I have blessed you. Now tell me. Am I a burden to you? To put it into context now, why is it a burden for you to come to worship God on Sunday? Why? Why is it so hard for you to wake up in the morning or prepare for service? Is this God that you're gonna, going to see is a God that gives you a lot of problems? Is it a burden to come and meet your God? That's the question. Could you imagine the faces of the people? It's a beautiful, actually, it's a beautiful way of seeing the book of the prophet Micah. And then God mentioned there, he becomes sarcastic. Because part of the passages in the book of Micah chapter 6, God says, you ask a question, you always ask the question, what will we give to the Lord? What will we bring to worship? It's just like, how many times shall I give to the Lord? Or how many times do I give to mission? How many times do I have to comply with all of these things? And God was sarcastic because He said, You keep on saying, what will you give to me? You're talking about giving me thousands of rum. Could you imagine how, what is thousand, how much is thousands of rums? That's an exaggeration. Because in the, in the book of Leviticus, the most number of rams that is being asked by God is five during the Day of Atonement. But you're talking here of thousands of rams. And then he's talking there of 10,000 rivers of olive oil. 10,000 rivers of olive oil. 
So why was God using that? It was a sarcastic remark because perhaps he could hear the people complaining. Oh, why do I have to give? Why do I have to do this for the Lord? Hingi ng hingi. Always mission, 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 mission. But then when the pastor, I love pastor, he is for the mission. But deep inside, he is in the man. And God is saying, you're talking here of 10,000 rivers of olive oil. I wonder how much gallon would that be? 10,000. And then here, should firstborn, did God ever ask His people to offer the firstborn? No. But why was God saying that? Because now these people are trying to compare perhaps the way other religions offer. They're complaining actually. They, they're speaking about it's a big burden to worship this Lord. And the fruit of my body, we don't understand. I was trying to search what that fruit of my body means, but I don't know what it means, but it's a sarcastic remark of God against the people. The question is, did God give you a problem? Why is it a burden? It's just like a husband and wife, or a husband who's been so kind to the wife, and the wife who's so good to the husband, and all of a sudden they're gonna meet, and the husband feels so sluggish, as if he don't like. The wife will say, what have I done to you? In the same manner, the husband would say, what have I done to you? Why are you not interested in meeting me? This is the drama of Micah. You see, God was dramatic too. He's got emotion. He expressed his feeling. And it's so wonderful for us to understand that God is not a passive God. He has emotions and feeling like us. And here this is what he's saying. And so now you see, you keep on talking about this, what you will bring, no matter what you give me, even if you give me a thousand rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil, even if you give me your firstborn, even if you give me your first body, that is meaningless to me. Because what I only require, actually even if you don't give that, what I require is that you live with justice and mercy and be humble in the way you walk with Him. And the Lord could not ignore the transgression of Israel. He's saying, it's too late. It has to change. It has to be cleansed. It has to be purged. All this thing that is happening has to change. Now you may wonder, why did God destroy it? Why? Because the worship in the temple, the worship cult of Israel and and Judah are now useless. It has now become a ritual. It has become a meaningless, routinary act of things. And so for God, in order for people to understand what it means to come to me, better destroy these things. Remove the structure. So that now in Babylon, where they would go to exile, they begin to understand what it is to obey the Lord. It was a very hard lesson. But what is important to God is that His people will understand the way, the very meaning of the things that we do. So the Lord could not ignore the transgression of Israel. He's saying, I don't care how much you give to me. 
I don't care how much money you give to this church. But I'm delighted if I see all of you come here. You have lived justly, mercifully, and you have been humble. And we know that, like my son. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because he has humbled himself to obedience. He has given mercy and compassion. He established justice upon this earth. And basically God is saying, looking forward for today. Now I don't require you to bring rums and olive oils and anything. All I ask is that you walk like my son. So that when we come here, I am delighted to see my son in you. It's not just us who will be blessed. Because even though we worship God or not, His blessings pour out. So coming to worship is not to ask and to be blessed. But to return to God with the blessing that we receive. And the greatest blessing that He asks of us is to walk like His Son. To be like Jesus. He, he is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then it goes on in the book of the prophet Micah as he comes to an end. You see, God, after saying this to these people, he comes back and makes a declaration. There is much inequality and injustice among my people. There's so much ill-gotten wealth. There's so much dishonesty. There's violence. And what for the sake of gaining more? Therefore, Samaria and Jerusalem will be destroyed and the people will be in exile where they will find the meaning of worshiping God it's a classroom lesson without a classroom bringing them far away where they would start to long for their God no longer in the comfort zone of their building and temples so this is the message of the Lord well, I'm sure that in our church, it is not like this. But still, the message goes should go in our heart. That we come to worship the Lord, to delight Him, to make Him happy. We come to offer not only our thoughts, but we come to offer our very lives. A life that emulates the life of His Son, Jesus Christ. And so... The book of Micah ended with a triumph. It ended with rejoicing. Because it says, Who is a God like you? Because the story goes, after all these things, after the wickedness of the leaders and the prophets, after taking care of the people of God, and God venting his anger, just like a father getting angry with his son or, or his daughter, or getting angry with someone you love. At the end of the day, after, the, after getting angry, he brings down the rod. And he says, come my son, I forgive you. And that's why he's saying, who is a God like you? He will not abandon his people. He will forgive, and not only forgive, but uproot the very cause of their sin. And he will restore them. So I know you understand, I understand 
when I spank my kids in those days, and they were still small, now it's the other way around, they can spank me, because David is bigger than me. But it's so hard when you, when you punish them. You know, you almost cry, and when you, when you deal with their naughtiness, you cry. It's painful, but you have to do it. Then at the end of the day, when all the punishment and all the drama is gone, you come to your son, my son, I love you. You embrace. And everything that has happened is now forgotten. Let's go on and renew. This is the God who was bringing a case to his people. He's not a God who will completely abandon, but he's a God who is going to restore. The Lord will not abandon his people. He will forgive, uproot the sin of the people, and he will restore them. And then finally, the Lord will establish his dwelling from mountain to mountain, from nation to nation, and God will shepherd his people. And this is the promise. God will destroy two mountains, the Mount of Jerusalem and the mountain of Samaria, where the temples are erected, but he will destroy. But after all these things, God is saying, in all the mountains of the earth, I will build a place for worship. It speaks now of the universality of this God. That is not only interested in two places. He is interested in all the mountains of the earth. From nation to nation. And I will bring a good shepherd. Not like these leaders and prophets. But I will give you a shepherd. A shepherd that comes from the branch of Jesse. From the branch of David. Who will take care of his people. With justice, love, and inequality. And equality. God will shepherd. And so the message of Micah ends with a cheerful. Wow, after all of this thing. Who is this God? Who is a God like you? So forgiving. Yet he will stand for what is true. And yet he is compassionate. And therefore, when all the mountains now are filled with the name of the Lord, worship will be delightful, not only for a few people, but throughout the ends of the earth. This even speaks of the missional quality of this God, that this name will be exalted to the many nations. What does God require of us? Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with me. Show your love for one another. Show justice to one another. Walk humbly with the Lord. And you could picture what kind of walk is that. That's the walk of His Son. So we come to worship now, and I hope we understand that we come to worship regardless whether we have a complete instrument or whoever is going to preach and talk in front of us. Remember, we come to worship because we want to please our God. We don't, we don't come to feel happy, to get emotionally high, to feel good. No. Because you must have felt the goodness of God already before you come here. You should already be happy before you come here. You should have counted your blessing already before you come here. Because when we come to worship, it is to bring back delight to the God that we worship.